Welcome to Sports Spectrum, the sports and faith podcast that brings Jesus back into the conversation. Here's your host, Jason Romano. Welcome to the Sports Spectrum Podcast. My name is Jason Romano. Great to have you joining us here on the program today. As always, you can find us on Spotify, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere podcasts are found. You can find us. Just search Sports Spectrum, subscribe, download, and become a part of the Sports Spectrum Podcast family. Never missing an episode of the Sports Spectrum Podcast, over 250 now. And our numbers in January and February were the highest they've ever been. I just want to say thank you to everyone who listens to this podcast, who's downloaded this podcast and told somebody else about this podcast, the intersection of sports and faith, just stories that we feel are so important and stories that in many ways are all the same story, pointing people back to Jesus. So thanks so much for being a part of this podcast, and we're just grateful. Today on the podcast, our guest is Blair Schaefer, the former Mississippi State guard and a member of the NCAA runner-up team in 2017 and 2018, just last year, came within just a couple minutes of being national champions in women's college basketball. She was the 2017-2018 SEC Scholar Athlete of the Year, a member of the SEC All-Defensive Team, and it's her dad, Vic, who is the head coach at Mississippi State. She has a twin brother named Logan, and his story is a pretty powerful one, which you'll hear on the podcast. And Blair is now doing broadcast work with the SEC Network, fresh out of college in her first season in broadcasting, and already, if you've watched any college basketball from the women's side on ESPN, even in this tournament that's coming up, the Women's NCAA Tournament, first round action, and and some of the conference tournament, you'll see Blair there as a color analyst, so pretty cool to watch her there. And Blair's faith is obviously a very important part of her journey and her life. And this is a great opportunity for all of us to get to know Blair a little bit. And we first dive into some women's Final Four college basketball memories in the last couple of years. Uh, Blair playing with Mississippi State. And she was on that team two years ago that ended the University of Connecticut's 111-game winning streak in the semifinals at the final four a couple years ago so lots of fun stories here and a really powerful story that blair shares about being tested in her faith with an accident that her brother logan suffered uh lots of good stuff here take a listen it's blair schaefer the former mississippi state guard now sec network analyst joining us here on sports spectrum blair welcome to the podcast Thanks for having me. It's good to talk to you, Blair. Thanks for joining us here. Very excited to hear your story and your journey. And it's been a year, basically, since your career at Mississippi State came to an end. You have back-to-back appearances in the national title game. When you look back, are you able to appreciate what you were able to accomplish there in those two years going to the national championship game? Or is there still a bit of a sour taste knowing that you came so close and just couldn't close it out? You know, I think it's a little bit of both because people don't realize how hard it is to go back to the national championship game two years in a row. And so I'm just so proud of my team for fighting through adversity. And at the beginning of the year last year, we had two starters out. One starter um, had to leave the team and then another 
ACL. So we had people step up major and we came together and really bonded. We found our roles on the court and people stuck to them. They didn't try and go outside of their comfort zone. And no matter if your role was scoring 20 every night or if it was getting five rebounds and five points, people embraced their roles. And I think that's why we had so much success. I mean, nowadays you have everyone who wants to drop 20 and people don't realize maybe that's not what you're meant to do. And so um, I'm really just proud of our team and what we've accomplished. We've set the standard now and it's crazy because now our fans at the beginning of each season, they're like, we've already bought our tickets for the final four. And I'm like, we haven't even started yet. Like y'all don't (laughs) understand how hard it is to get back to the final four, let alone the national championship. So um, a little bit of a bitter taste in my mouth because we didn't finish it off. But at the same time, we did all we could. And um, that's what I'm proud of. Was it different in the second year, that run at your senior season last year versus the first one, as opposed to kind of coming out of nowhere? I don't want to say out of nowhere, but you know what I mean, in 17, compared to repeating and coming back and trying to do it again in 18. Is there a big difference there? Or were both sort of similar in the way that they took took shape? Um, I think they were very different, actually. So the first year, we went to Dallas for the Final Four, and we were just honestly so excited to be there. Um, And we were just embracing the journey and everything that was coming our way there. Um, And everyone knew we were playing UConn. And so some people came to the Final Four, and some people didn't. And I will say most people came because Mississippi State women's basketball had never been. And so our fans really took it upon themselves to come. And then we just happened to be UConn because the people in our locker room knew what was going on. We, we had faith in each other, but quite frankly, everyone else was just coming to see if it would be a close game. And so when we beat them, it was crazy. Um, but we didn't really know what the final four experience was like. And so I, I truly believe that you don't know how to handle it until you physically go through it. There's so much more than just playing a game and then practicing the day in between the Final Four and the National Championship game. Um, You have, like, autographs. You wake up for film, and then you have breakfast, and then you leave. You go to the gym, and then you have all this media time. You have media blocks, and it can take up to two and a half hours to finish all of the media. And so while you're not in media, you're doing study hall in the locker room and then you have practice for two hours. And then after practice, you have another media block. And then we went straight to autographs and then we went to dinner. And by the time we got back to the hotel, we watched film and we went to bed. So it's like a full day. Um, and so just understanding how to deal with all of the distractions, there's a lot of excited fans there and you want to try and sign as many autographs as you can while you're in the hotel but then you need to try and focus on what you're there for at the same time and so the first year around we were just all over the place mentally and physically especially after the UConn game we were so exhausted because that game was already a late game it started at nine and then it went into overtime and so we didn't finish the game until probably around 11 30 or midnight and then you have the media after the game that's crazy so I remember rooming with Victoria Vivians and we didn't go to sleep until like 4 30 that morning because we were just so amped off of winning like it was just the craziest moment ever and so we finally went to sleep and we get up at like nine for film and all that stuff all over again and so people don't realize the toll it takes on your body um but then the second year I felt like we were just more focused Um, mentally. We were locked in all five of the starting five was, and then you had Jordan Danbury who 
was crazy good for us in the final four last year. That was kind of her breaking out moment. Um, we just, we knew what was about to take place and we did a couple things differently. Um, instead of having a full out practice on the day in between the final four and the national championship day, uh, we did yoga. And if you look at Vic Schaefer and you're like, you did yoga. <laughs> I, I mean, it's crazy because the year before we were going all out and, that's why we were so tired in the championship game was because we gave it all we had in practice. And so my dad was just saying, you know, we're not going to lose the national championship game because of legs. If we're going to lose, it's going to be because of something else. And so um, I definitely think they were two different experiences, but the leadership that we had the second year was outstanding. And so I feel like that's why we were so much more focused and we knew exactly what we were getting into as soon as we got to the final four. That game two years ago against UConn in the semifinal ended their 111-game winning streak. And you kind of mentioned it in the way you were describing the experiences that were people coming just to see if you could keep it close. And there's a point, obviously, in that game where you realize we can hang with these guys and then you obviously end up winning. Explain that feeling of beating a team like that when pretty much nobody, maybe except yourselves and some family members, was really giving you a shot to win. Yeah, um, it's just, it's a one of a kind feeling because people forget that the year before we had to play UConn in the final four, we got embarrassed by them by 60 points in the sweet 16. Mm -hmm. And so we had a bitter taste in our mouth from the year before. And so we were not going to let that happen again. And truly, the thing is, is you don't know what it's like to play UConn until you play UConn. And so many people are afraid of the name. And we were. The first year, we were so afraid of the jersey. That's why we got beat by 60, like 6-0, not 1-6. And so we created the – it was like the a record for the largest deficit in NCAA women's basketball. Um, and so that was super embarrassing for us. And so coming into the Final Four, we had – this different mentality and we knew what it was like. And instead of being afraid, you have to pressure them. And we looked at film and we saw how there were so many teams that gave them so much room to operate and no one pressured them on defense. And we thought to ourselves, like, that's what we do. We pressure people. We get up in their space and we make them uncomfortable. And so when we started doing that to UConn during the game, they didn't know how to handle it because no one had ever done that to them. Everyone was afraid and gave them too much space and they either shot it or they were able to understand what they wanted to do. And they did their moves comfortably. They attacked to the rim. And so um, the first couple minutes of the game, we started getting up and, and getting more points on them. And we were finally up by like 15 at one point. And so I think at that moment, there were people that really started to, like we really, we really started to gain their attention um, because they were like, what's going on? Like everyone was saying, you know, it won't last, you know, they can't be up forever. Um, and so just getting into overtime with them um, was crazy. And then to have the smallest person on our team hit the game winning shot over a six, four uh, post player with a wingspan, that's a lot longer than she is um it was just crazy and Mo had all the confidence in the world which is something that you want in a point guard but when she hit that shot and time ran out it was like there was nothing else that they that UConn could do to come back and so I mean we just we all like it was just a having chills moment 
Um, thinking back at it, we had a dog pile on the floor and like <laughs> the entire arena was lit. Um, Dak Prescott came to that game because we actually like the juniors and seniors on that team. Uh, we went to college with Dak and so we knew him. And so that was like his first few years of being the quarterback of the Dallas Cowboys. And he came with his friends and they were so lit and excited and videoing the whole thing. And I mean, it was just an unbelievable experience. Um, and so obviously when you have a moment like that, you can't just go to sleep when you get back to the hotel. Um, but then like the hotel was crazy. It was like every bulldog that was in Dallas came to that hotel um, and just wanted to hang out and be in the atmosphere because there were restaurants at that hotel and there were bars. And so it was the perfect element for everyone. Um, so it was just surreal, um, but so gratifying because we worked so hard and every single person on that team really studied what they needed to do, whether your role was big or small. So is that hard to turn around then and try and play the national championship game? I mean, you talked about not having your legs and going hard on that off day, but it feels like you were celebrating like you had just won the national championship and nobody would think anything less because you had just ended a winning streak of 111 games. Is it, is it, was there a moment where you finally were able to turn it off and say, okay, we still got another game to play here, guys? Um, I mean... We knew as soon as the sun came up the next morning or whenever our eyes reopened, you know, um, that we had to be ready to go and prepare for another team. And it was very difficult, to be honest, as far as refocusing and understanding that wasn't the national championship game, because that is still to this day the most televised basketball game women's college basketball game that there ever was and yeah. is and so there were so many people that watched that game it was just crazy and then um it was hard because while we were playing in the um semifinal game uh South Carolina who we had to play in the national championship game they were at the hotel in their beds they only stayed for the first half of that game and so they were able to go back and get some rest and watch the game and lay down while we were still up and playing. And so um, they definitely got more rest than we did. But, I mean, credit to them. They had a really good team. They had three players that went off into the WNBA draft after that year. And so it wasn't like it was by chance that they won. I mean, they deserved it. They played harder. Um, but, I mean, quite frankly, we just didn't have anything left in the tank. Uh, so it was it was very difficult to have a turnaround like that. But I think, you know, going through that really helped us understand mentally and physically what we have to be ready for next year if we want to get back to the final four Blair Schaefer is our guest here on the sports spectrum podcast a former Mississippi State guard you played for your dad in college Vic Schaefer and I know that that relationship was a unique one I have to imagine playing for your father and a special one that for sure and faith was a big part of that bond that you guys have can you share where that faith sort of began for you that faith in Christ and kind of how it took shape for you yeah, so um, faith has always been big for me and my family. I grew up in the church, and um, I am a firm believer of you really just don't know how strong your faith is until you're truly tested and you have to go one way or the other. And so for me, um, in my after eighth grade, the summer of eighth grade, that was when I was really tested. My brother was injured in a wakeboarding accident at Frontier Camp, which is a church camp in Texas. And I was in Ohio with my dad at Nike Nationals. 
And so we get a call at eight o'clock in the morning saying my brother was unresponsive, unconscious and seizing. Where would you like me to take him? And so my dad was like, what's going on? Like, I guess take him like wherever you would take your son. And so um, Logan was hurt in a wakeboarding accident. He used to be really good. Um, and he went in the morning wakeboarding group at 6 a.m., which that's when all the good people go. So you don't have to wait later and wait for all the people to try and learn how to wakeboard, whatever. And so Logan was ramping, um, while wakeboarding and he crashed on the water, but the way that he landed, um, it was like hitting his head on concrete. That's how the doctor explained it. That's how hard he hit his head and he got whiplash. And so when he crashed, a blood vessel pulled apart in his brain. And so he was bleeding in the brain. And so by the time he got to the the hospital, he was a level four and level five is dead. And so that whole experience for us really brought us together. And um, it was really crazy for me because whenever we got that phone call and we were in Ohio, the first thing my dad did wasn't we have to pack up our stuff and leave. It was we need to pray. And so for me, that was really interesting for me to see because you can always talk about how you rely on God and blah, blah, blah. But when you're truly faced with something um, that's so intense like Logan's accident and then you see him rely on the one person that can change everything I mean that was huge for me and so that's really when my faith started to grow and um thankfully like Logan he he is completely healed now he's in grad school at Texas A&M but that entire like rehab situation and surgery process it was crazy I mean it was like two years um before Logan was completely normal again, because he had to have surgery to take out the skull that this piece of skull that they took out when they went into the first surgery, um, they put in a freezer. And so when, when you put in the skull in the freezer, there's an 80% chance that it will survive. Well, after Logan's head was, um, fine and it, the swelling was down, they put the skull back in, but the skull had died. And so that 20% chance happened. And so the doctor said, when Logan went back for his checkup, his piece of skull was as thin as a piece of paper. And so then you're thinking, uh, how can we fix this? Like, what's the replacement of a, a skull that is not living anymore? And so now Logan has a titanium replacement in his head right now. And it's millimeter on point, like it fits perfectly. Um, but we didn't know any of this was happening until he was playing baseball and he got hit in the head and it was just, you know, life happened after. And so just through that entire process, we really relied on our faith and it just showed like how strong our family really was um, through that, because that's not something that's easy, especially when you have all these medical bills that are tossed your way. You have the helicopter that flew Logan from church camp to the um, medical place. And then you have all the surgeries and it, it just adds up. Um, and so my, my family just really relied on Christ through all of that. And then personally for me throughout my career at Mississippi state, um, it was very difficult and I really had to have faith in God and, and know that he was putting me in a situation for a reason because I signed to Mississippi state because I wanted to play. I wanted to play at the highest level and I wasn't doing that my freshman and sophomore year, my freshman year, I averaged six minutes and I don't even remember checking into six games Hmm. and my sophomore year, I averaged 13 minutes, but I still wasn't playing the amount that I wanted. And so after my sophomore year, um, I told my parents I wanted to transfer and that was really hard because my dad's the coach. And so 
for me, I had never taken the easy way out. And it was really um, shocking to my dad because he knew that. And so instead of taking the easy way out and thinking the grass is greener somewhere else, we just went to work. And my dad encouraged me to stay and, and look at the the reasons why I wasn't playing. And so when I looked at the stats and I looked at the minutes and I was averaging the most turnovers on the team and I was playing the least amount of minutes. And so I'm like, how can I fix this? And then I worked on my weaknesses and my coaches really embraced me. And so throughout that entire process, I just had to really have faith in God and that he knew what he was doing and that he was placing those coaches in my lives for a reason. And so I went from not playing at all my freshman year to averaging the most minutes on my team my senior year and starting every game my senior year, which is just a crazy whirlwind because you have an All-American in Victoria Vivians, you have an All-American in Tierra McCowan, and I'm playing more minutes than both of them. And it, I mean, I, I asked myself why, but I mean, I, I looked at everything that I started to add to my team and I'm like, well, that's why if you take me off the floor, you're taking away your help side defender. You're taking away the screener that gets Tierra open and you're taking away a three point threat that brings a guard out on the perimeter and allows Tierra to work more on the inside. And so you're taking away so many things now when you take me off the floor. And so just looking back at it, I mean, it was a crazy whirlwind, but I can truly say like my faith is my foundation because I would not be where I am today without you know, trusting in him and, and seeing how he can work in my life if I just give it to him. There's so much good stuff there. I want to unpack a little bit of it with you, Blair. The Going back to your brother, uh, Logan, um, I was reading an article about your story and his story, and you were quoted as saying, I never knew the power of Christ until I went through this. Take mm-hmm. me to a moment where you were truly reliant on Christ and you felt sort of transformed, like your faith changed, like this is something different than just saying, yes, God, and going to church on Sunday, something bigger and greater was happening here. Can you take me through that a little bit? Yeah. So one moment for me was, um, we were in the ICU unit after Logan had his first surgery, he went into a coma for about four days. And, um, the nurses would always say, you know, talk to him because he can hear you. He just can't respond. And so we were like, okay, so day after day, we would talk to him. Nothing would happen. He would just lay there and shake and sweat. And my dad would just dry the sweat off of him. You know, we just kept praying. And one day we were just like, God, if you have him in your hands, just give us a sign. And so that day we were talking to Logan and we were like, Logan, if you can hear us, give us a thumbs up. And he he slowly moved his hand up, gave us a thumbs up. And then his arm collapsed right back on his chest. And it was like he had given us all the energy in his body to tell us that he was okay. And so that moment for us just gave us chills. And we were just like, you know what? We can't worry. Like God has him exactly where he's supposed to be. And we have to trust that this process is, you know, God has it in his hands. He's in control. And so that was really something for me that was crazy because I've never heard of someone actually like responding to someone when they're in a coma. Um, And so when Logan did that, it was just really eye-opening for us. And then another moment was when he got accepted into TIER. It's a rehab facility in Houston, Texas. It's one of the best for brain injury, like traumatic brain injuries. Um, And so Logan had to go, he had to learn how to walk again, talk again, go to the bathroom, feed himself. I mean, everything. And so one day he had to go to his physical therapy. 
Well, this guy, we had never seen him before. We saw every other therapist every single day. And this one guy, he just showed up for one day. And he helped my brother walk up. There was a, a set of staircases in the therapy room that led to nowhere. It was just to go up and to come back down. And so that day, that therapist helped Logan. He was um, he was behind my brother. And then my dad was in front of my brother wiping the drool from his face because he couldn't control it. Um, and they walked up the flight of the stairs and they slowly walked back down and... Um, that was a huge milestone for Logan because he hadn't been able to go upstairs or anything like that. He could barely walk. And so after that day, you know, the therapist came into Logan's room and was like, all right, buddy, I'm super proud of you. Um, you know, I'll see you. I'll see you soon. And we never saw that guy ever again. <laughs> and so it's almost like that guy was an angel. And my dad has done so many interviews with people and he will say like if this guy is out there I just want to say like thank you for saving my son's life and helping him get back to normal um and so just an that's just another god thing that we feel like um came straight from him you know so still to this day you haven't heard heard from that guy seen that guy know who he was nope nobody <laughs> knows and we've even asked wow. and no one knows that's crazy. That's such yeah. a cool story. I love that. You know, in some cases, it's better not to know, right? Because yeah. you obviously your dad wants to thank him and you do too. But I mean, I think that just increases the element of faith in this whole journey that you've been on, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. Blair Schaefer is our guest here on the podcast. Great stories there, Blair. I'm glad to hear that, that Logan's doing better. As you sort of alluded to the fact that your faith was tested when you were a player your first and second year, your freshman and sophomore year. I think we've mentioned this a few times, but your dad's the coach. So playing for your dad and your faith being tested, what was that like? What is that like? I mean, you played for him your entire career. There's got to be some good and some bad, I guess, in the sense, or not bad, but I guess challenges in playing for your dad, both as your coach, but as him being your father too. Yeah. Um, you know, at first it was kind of weird. And I think when I was a freshman, I called him dad once in practice and he looked at me like, I'm not your dad right now. And so <laughs> yeah. that was kind of the first moment where I was like, okay, I will never call you dad and I will never call you coach. And so like, if I ever needed his attention, I would just be like, Hey, I have a question. Like I, I just would not even go either direction. Um, but honestly, you know, we had a really great relationship and I truly believe if you don't have that good relationship to set your foundation on, it's never going to work. But for me, I knew he was the best and I knew how smart he was and, and just how knowledgeable he was about the sport. And I knew his heart. There's so many coaches out there that they act one way and then you sign with them and then they go back to their true colors. And so for me, I never wanted to chance committing to someone else and then them flipping the switch on me, especially since if I played for someone else, my parents would never be able to see me play because my dad would always be coaching when I would be playing. And then my mom would have to like split her time between the two. So for me, playing for my dad was the best thing ever. And my freshman year and sophomore year, it was difficult and not so much because of him, but because of the locker room um, part, people don't realize, you know, you go in the locker room and everyone's talking about the coach. Well, it happens to be your dad. Yeah. And so um, the my first year at state, we still had players on the team that were seniors that my dad had inherited when he first got the job. And so they weren't just the best type of kids and their character wasn't the best. And so when you go in a locker room like that, it's hard. Um, there were seniors and juniors on the team that were getting in trouble outside of basketball and 
I already had a target on my back, but like they would call team meetings and chew me out because they thought I was telling on them. And I was like, the fact that my dad is the coach is not my fault. And the fact that you guys are getting in trouble is not my fault either. Like, I'm not telling on you guys, obviously somebody else is. And so that was tough. I'm not even gonna lie. Like I went home and I cried a lot because I did not know how to handle it. You don't think of those things whenever you commit to play for your dad. Um, But then my, my junior and senior year, it was completely different. Um, People knew that they could trust me and that whatever was in the locker room stayed in the locker room that I didn't tell on people, you know, like I was one of them in the locker room. I'm a player. I'm not the daughter. And so like some days I want to go in there and I want to gripe too. Like, I mean, it's just how it is. It's locker room talk. And, um, and for me to like the, the cherry on top to understand that I was really trusted by my teammates was when we went to the final four last year, Rebecca Lobo asked Tierra, how do you deal with locker room talk when Blair's in the locker room? And Tierra said, we forget that Blair's a coach's daughter because she's one of us. Like we think of her as one of us. And so that's something that like I can only ask for. And my teammates were the best. I couldn't have had a great junior and senior year if I didn't have great teammates um, with me every day. And I also think that I kind of earned that because I worked really hard. I never complained. And as a coach's kid, that's what you have to do. You have to prove yourself. And so I worked hard every day. I was that vocal leader. I was that encourager. And I'd never had an, a bad day because I can't. Like when you're a leader, you can't you can't afford to have bad days. You have to always be on point. And so I just think having a, a year of that and then backing it up my senior year with that as well um, just really gained my teammates' respect. Um, and so playing for my dad was great. And we had so much success. And so most people say I could never play for my parents. And I'm like, well, most people can't play for their parents because they don't have the relationship to do so. Mm-hmm. But I, I know that I've inspired people to to play for their mom or their dad. And it was actually really cool. Last week, I went to go um, cover the, the Georgia versus Alabama women's basketball game for SEC Network. And Coach Joni Taylor, she just had her baby. And so um, Coach Karen Lang is the associate head coach, and she was taking over while she's off on maternity leave. And her daughter actually wants to play for her. And, and Coach Karen said, I just want you to know, Blair, like my daughter really looks up to you and she's 10. But she says, you know, she wants to be just like you. She wants to play for her mom. And she said that, you know, if you can do it, she can do it. And so stuff like that, you know, makes it all worth it for me personally. So I love that. That's so true. And I think as a, as a dad of a teenage daughter, and I've only coached her in like, you know, rec softball leagues, but it's hard to even get her to turn off the dad moment here and think I'm trying to be her dad when I'm actually trying to be her coach and, and help her be a better player encourage just those listening they you know we have a lot of parents a lot of coaches that are listening to this podcast and maybe their kids may want to play for them or maybe they already do on whatever level that is just encourage the coach and encourage the player on what the best I guess piece of advice or a lesson that you learned in this whole process of playing for your dad was well first of all we had a conversation really early on in my career Um, he sat me down at the house one day and was like, Blair, um, we need, we need to talk either. You're going to let me talk to you. Like I would talk to Sydney Carter, which Sydney Carter was a guard on his national championship team when he coached at Texas A&M. Um, and so she called him dad because that's their relationship. Like they were so close, but on the court, it was coach and player, but she wanted to be coached. She could be talked to anyway because she just wanted to get better. And, um, and so he was like, Blair, either you're going to let me talk to you like Sydney 
or I'll talk to you like my daughter. And he and I was really upset because I had just played really bad um, at a tournament. And um, I was like, well, you can talk to me like Sydney. And he was like, "Okay." so that was the moment where we realized you're going to let me talk to you like a player and and you're going to realize I'm talking to you like a coach. I'm not talking to you as the dad. And so I feel like you have to have a conversation like that. And it really has to be up to like the player, the the daughter, you have to talk to the player that's inside the daughter. And if the player wants to be coached by her dad, then it'll work out and she'll realize, Hey, like I can take the coaching piece and you have to realize it's not personal. I feel like there's so many young people out there that take coaching so personal and it's not like people just want to make you better. And so once you realize that, um, then everything else, it, it goes smooth. And for me, when I had that conversation, I think I was like a sixth or seventh grader. I was really young. And so um, it was a good starting point in my career to realize when my dad talks to me about basketball, it's the coach. It's not the dad. Um, and I can kind of tell now, like when it's my dad, that's proud, or if it's the coach, that's proud, or if it's both. Um, and so, yeah, that's probably my best piece of advice. A couple more questions here with Blair Schaefer on the podcast. You mentioned SEC Network. So following graduation last year, you embarked on this broadcasting journey that took you to the SEC Network. I even read that you did a summer internship with Entertainment Tonight. My question to you, I guess, is not why broadcasting, but how do you, because we're called to go in the world and make disciples, how do you carry Christ with you through this new venture as a broadcaster and kind of keep your faith with you wherever you go and not just keep it there on Sundays in church or in a Bible study, but everywhere you go. Um, I think a way that you can show your faith is just the way that you carry yourself and the way that you treat people. And so for me, um, I never want to belittle somebody. I always want to thank people, um, especially with me being new. There's been so many people help me within the SEC network. Um, and it's crazy because I would have never thought that, like I would have thought people would, you know, they would know I was new and then they would just do their daily job and, hope that I figured it out. And that has not been the case at all. Um, whenever I have a headset on, there's producers and directors talking in my ear while I'm talking on camera or while the game's going on and I'm talking. And so um, most of the time, the producers are saying stuff in my ear that's going to help me sound better on the broadcast. But no one as a viewer would ever know because it's coming out of my mouth. They don't hear anybody else but me. And so for me, I'm so thankful that I have a team behind me that just met me and that are embracing me so early on. Um, and so it's always important for me to thank them and just, you know, if I can ever do anything or, or just working hard. Um, I think there's a lot of way that you can, a lot of ways that you can show that you have Christ in you without, you know, talking about like your love for, for Jesus or stuff like that. So how hard, how hard is that to have voices talking while you're trying to talk? Just from a broadcasting perspective, I know that isn't easy. Yeah, um, it was definitely something <laughs> that took me a little bit to get used to, um, especially my first broadcast. I started talking and then I had people in my ear talking to me and I just stopped talking on camera. And it was really awkward because they're like, no, 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 keep going, keep going. I'm just trying to help you with your flow, blah, blah, blah. And so after the first game, I got the hang of it. But um, people were trying to tell me how the broadcast was going to go. And at the end of the day, I was like, I'm not going to know unless I just go through it. And so after my first one, it actually was really good. And someone 
from SEC Network was like, I would never know that this was your first broadcast by listening in. And they're like, you did a really good job. And I was like, well, thank you. I mean, that stuff means a lot to me. Um, but it is very difficult at first. But now it's it's actually really good. Like, I'm used to it now. And I appreciate the producers and directors who give me their two cents because sometimes I don't see stuff that they see. Um, and it just makes the overall broadcast better and the whole team looks better at the end of the day. It's really great. Blair Schaefer has been our guest here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Blair, as we close out this conversation and this interview, what are you learning from God right now? That's the question that we ask all of our guests at the end of every interview. What is he teaching you right now? What is the Lord impressing on your heart? What are you learning from him? Ooh, I love the fact that you asked me this question because I was literally talking to someone about my struggles last night. Um, so right now I'm in this stage of my life where I'm trying to figure out, okay, I'm doing broadcasting. Um, I'm doing the SEC network and I love it. Um, but I want to find something full time. And so for me, it's like, do I try and go down this road of, you know, talking to my, my manager with SEC network about being full time with them? Or do I have to be patient and trust the Lord's timing that, you know, he will make something happen or should I try and go into coaching? I've had like a ton of people in the broadcast world on SEC network say, you know, you're too knowledgeable to be doing this. You should be coaching. You need to be out in student athletes lives. And so for me, I love the relationship aspect of being with athletes and giving them my two cents because I'm a five, seven guard that was on the all defensive team for the sec. Like that's not supposed to happen. I'm not as athletic as 99% of people that I play against and I'm shorter. I'm not as fast and I, I got it done. And so there's so many athletes that are wondering how I did it. And so to be able to give back is something I really love. Um, and so there's a part of my heart that's being torn right now. Like, I don't know if I should go into coaching or if I should do broadcasting. And so I guess what the Lord's trying to teach me right now is to just be patient and to trust that he has everything under control and that his timing is everything. And for me, I'm such a planner. I love to know everything so I can plan it out and I can know when things are going to happen. And so to not know something like this, like that could possibly be my future. Um, it's hard. It's really hard. And so right now, you know, just being patient, I pray a lot. And I, you know, I pray for peace. I pray for understanding. I pray that he, you know, will just show me clues that he has everything under control and that it's okay not to know. Um, and so that's probably a couple of things that I'm learning right now. Um, so, yeah. How much do you miss playing? I, I know I said that was the last question, but that just kind of popped in my brain. That's okay. Do you miss playing? Oh, yeah. I mean, every day, It's especially since I'm still in Starkville and I, I go to the games when I can. Um, and I played with them like people, I, people don't understand. Like I still have a relationship with them. They were my teammates like nine months ago. And so, um, I've, of course I miss playing, especially when I watch them play sometimes. And I'm like, man, if I was on the court right now, I would have been in help. I could have taken the charge. I could have stopped that from happening or, you know, X, Y, and Z, whatever. Um, and so of course there's always going to be a part of me that misses it, especially since, you know, it was my life. I basketball was my life for, like 19 years. It's all I did. And so um, when you live and breathe something and then you have to cut it off, it's it's a hard transition. 
She is Blair Schaefer, the former Mississippi State Guard, now SEC Network Analyst. This has been really great. Thanks for joining us here on the podcast, Blair, and we'll uh, wish you nothing but the best going forward and keep watching uh, Mississippi State, see if they can make it three years in a row in the national championship game. I hope they do. Thanks for having me. (laughs) Absolutely. And many thanks to Blair Schaefer, the former Mississippi State Guard, now SEC Network Women's College Basketball Analyst, for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum podcast. You can give her a follow over on Twitter at Blair underscore Schaefer, S-C-H-A-E-F-E-R. And keep watching ESPN as the Women's College Basketball Tournament gets underway very soon here, if not this weekend. And Blair will be a part of their broadcast team uh, of all the different games that are being played. She'll be one of the analysts and one of the few first-year analysts to ever call the Women's College Basketball Tournament. So really fun stuff there. And many thanks to Blair Schaefer for joining us here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Also want to thank you for listening. We really are grateful for every single person that tunes into this podcast and checks us out, that's downloaded and subscribed. Want to encourage you to leave a review on iTunes. If you go to Apple iTunes, the app on your iPhone, click the podcast app and then find Sports Spectrum and leave a review. It just helps get the word out. And at this point, we're just grateful that anyone would want to get the word out on these stories of the intersection of sports and faith. And there is an appetite out there for this kind of content. The more I talk about it, the more I talk to people about it, the more I realize that there, these, especially these athletes and former athletes, very few of them are asked about their faith. And it's the most important thing in their life. So we have that privilege of, as the introduction said, bringing Jesus back into the conversation. And that's what we try to do in asking people questions about the most important thing in their life, and that is their faith in Jesus. So really just thank you for listening to this episode and all the episodes of the Sports Spectrum Podcast. I want to encourage you to check out our website as well, sportspectrum.com, where we have content posted every single day, including a daily devotional at 6 a.m. every morning to get your day started right in the Lord. It's literally 30 seconds to a minute read, just a great way to encourage you and start your day off right. And then articles all day long on the intersection of sports and faith, an increased article, which is a first-person written article from an athlete themselves. So that's a lot of fun too. Check it out, sportspectrum.com. Every single podcast is there too. So check that out, sportspectrum.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time right here on the Sports Spectrum Podcast. Have a great rest of your day.